we are a proud member of the 143 Podcast Network. How's it going, everybody? This is Joey Galvez, and I'm here with Albert Morales, and we are the House of Indie. And today we're going to be speaking with a creator who created Grief, Dead End Kids, and on his new book, No Heroin, No Heroin. So, so we've got no heroin. Fr- yeah, no heroin, no heroin. Yeah, no heroin, no heroin. No. Yes, heroin, and there's no heroin. This is no heroin. Let's not do heroin. Yes, we got Frank Gogo online. How's it going, Frank? Not bad. How's it going, guys? Pretty good. I was looking through some of the some of the material you sent over to us, and and uh, um, I got to say I was pretty intrigued with uh, some of the artwork in the in the books. Um, with the writing, with your writing style, obviously you have some uh, stories that you have to tell or that you want to tell. Uh, how are you with at picking uh, talent, and what are you looking for? Like, how do you translate that from what's in your head to uh, to kind of find the right artist to go along with your projects. Is it something that just kind of fell into your lap with uh, some of the creatives or are you specifically seeking them out? You know, it's uh, it's really, it's like a mix of everything, honestly. Like I have my own personal aesthetic. There are, there are artists and styles that I really like that I gravitate towards. Um, they, they tend to be like the more simple styles like uh, David Aha, who did like Hawkeye with Matt Fraction and uh, Iron Fist with Matt Fraction. Uh, Dave Mezzichelli, who's done some, some Daredevil. Um, uh, well, it's Chris Samney, like people who have like, you know, mm-hmm. more simplified styles uh, right. that are just, they're a little clearer on the page. Um, but also I like uh, artists who have like more of a design element to their, their art, like uh, Andrea Sorrentino does a lot with uh, Jeff Lemire. Um, so I, I look for stuff like that, clean layouts, um, simplified art, like colors that, that kind of pop or, or work with it. Um, and the same is true for letters. Um, in terms of how I came across my artists, um, it's, it's really just a little bit of everything. Uh, my first book, Grief, that you mentioned a minute ago, uh, is a, <clears throat> it's a short story collection, so it's 10 short stories. Um, I think there are six different artists on the book, uh, and each one was sort of picked because they were available and affordable at the time, which is something a lot of <laughs> a lot of new creators have to have to sort of like figure that part out, um, what they can afford to spend. And yeah, true. Yeah. Um, but uh, that's the, and then the other thing was like uh, some of them it, it came down to the the style of the story. Um, there's a there's a horror story in there uh, called the debt, um, and that one you know being a monster story, I wanted to work with somebody who had a little more of a <laughs> Um, I'm the jerk who has his phone on. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to work with somebody who had like a little bit more of like a rougher sort of inky, uh, jagged style. So I ended working with uh, Kim Holm on that story. Uh, but for some of the other stories that have you know a little more of a drama focus to them, or or are more steeped in the dramatic elements rather than the the sort of sci-fi or fantasy elements, I, I worked with Nanad who did Dead End Kids with me. Um, because he's just got like a like a really clear style, a great sense sense mm. of uh, you know composition, and uh, yeah, I, one of the things for me is clarity. Like I read a lot of big two books, and and there are some books, especially the ones that have like big action, that I'm not always like immediately readily able to tell what's happening on the page, and like oh, I just yeah. don't, I don't want anyone to ever feel like that when they're reading my stuff. So that's that's probably yeah. the biggest thing for me. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, you know, you you definitely want to have that have that kind of work translate into your, you know, to bring out your stories a little bit better, you know? And, and I think, uh, I think with dead end kids, there was definitely that clearness in the artwork. Um, so yeah, top, top, you know, hats off to you, man. 
<laughs> nice. Yeah. Hey, where are you at uh, locally? Like, uh, where, where are you at uh, living in the States? I live in the heart of San Francisco, California. San Fran. Nice. Uh-huh. So I hear you're doing it old school style as far as really uh, hustling, putting the books in the, trying to get the books in the shop directly from uh, from hand to shop instead of uh, going through the uh, through the regular modes. Oh, I think you heard wrong, man. I think you heard wrong. No. How, how are you getting? How are you getting them in the in the stores, man? Um, my my publisher, Source Point Press, is in the Diamond catalog in the the back half with all the indie and small press publishers, uh, and that's okay. that's the primary mode. Um, I think what you were getting at was that we uh, Source Point Press and myself uh, we do a lot of conventions and hand selling um, and outreach to retailers. Um, Source Point Press does something like somewhere between 60 and 70 conventions a year. And if you do the math on that, that's that's at least one a weekend. Um, sometimes we're in two or three places on a given weekend. Um, so a lot of it is, you know, hand to hand, you know, business to consumer sales. Uh, that's like a dirty way to say it. It's just, it's just meeting people and putting the book in their hands and like building up a like a grassroots fan base type of thing. And the same thing with retailers. So let's let's talk a little bit about about uh, grief. You uh you were uh, an award-winning Ringo Award uh, nomination uh, book. Talk a little bit more about that. You you touched on a little bit. Yeah. Um, so like the the brief origin story for grief. Ooh, that rhymed. Um, is is that like I started writing comics in the spring of 2016. Like that was when I put my foot in the ground. I was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this and like put my best foot forward and like try and make something of it. Um, I started off by writing these these short five page stories just just to practice you know scripting form and and different genres you know horror sci-fi crime um and and towards like the middle of that year i was like oh my god making comics costs an incredible amount of money and and i'm spending a lot on this and i'm not going to stop so i had to figure out sort of a way to to get some of it back um so uh i sort of engineered uh grief from those stories uh and it was a, a digital only kickstarter book in april of 2017 uh it went on to get like almost double funding and be funded in 10 hours like i mean it was it was a pretty pretty successful kickstarter oh. um and now uh so you know uh i don't remember the question anymore <laughs> so uh <laughs> it happens to me all the time too. i'm sorry <laughs> it's i gotta all good. start writing down Talk to me a little bit more about uh, Dead and Kins as well. You so you, we talked you your first book that you that you did was Grief, and uh, you went on to do Dead and Kids, and um, that was pretty successful as well. Yeah, and actually, I remember the question, so I can finish answering that and transition. <laughs> into Wait, I forgot it again. Damn it! There went. There went. Um, <laughs> okay. Anyway, uh, Dead and Kids. Oh, it was Ringo Awards. Duh. Um, so yeah. Uh, Grief, it, like I, I keep saying that this book is like the book that keeps on giving. Um, it was my first book. Uh, it was like a super successful Kickstarter considering it was digital only. Um, it was, you know, picked up for print publishing without me actually submitting it to the publisher. Um, somebody uh-huh. did it on my behalf. So uh, that was that was pretty wild. It, it went on to, to it's, a, it's a weird book. It's a, it deals with things that people don't really want to engage with. And it's an anthology. So it's like a very hard sell, but it still sells really well consistently um so the first print run went on to sell out uh middle of last year in july Uh, so like three thousand copies in like i don't know a year and two or three months um and then it got the ringo nom for best uh anthology uh so so like you know as far as first books go like i i i'm honestly surprised like it keeps coming back to give me 
a little more. Um, and uh, now it's going to go on to get a second printing uh, over the summer, I think. Uh, it'll, it'll be out sometime this year, a slightly different version with a, with a slightly tweaked cover and a little bit of formatting difference. Um, but uh, yeah, and so it, and it opened up the door for me to be able to pitch Dead End Kids to SourcePoint Press. Um, uh, so uh, Dead End Kids is, uh, it's, it's a 90s murder mystery. It's like, think Stand By Me meets the Hardy Boys, but like okay. darker and more violent. Um, so it's about these three kids who, uh, if you pay close attention, live in New Jersey um, in 1999 who are trying to solve their friend's murder. Uh, wow. So on, on, on the surface, it's it's sort of like a, a crime drama, a coming of age story. But really, I just wanted to sort of explore this question of uh, sort of like does childhood trauma like really affect who you have to become when you grow up? Like, mm. you know if you're raised by a couple of drug dealers and you know, you don't have, you know, come from a lower socioeconomic background, are you going to grow up to be a drug dealer too? Or, you know, are you going to be held back by, you know, your, your, the things that messed you up as a kid? Yeah. Um, so that came out, uh, last July through September. Uh, and it, it did incredibly well. I, I, I have extremely managed expectations about everything I do. Like a little bit of it is just trying to be reasonable. And a little bit is like underselling myself because I don't want to like get my hopes up and then be let down, especially if that's on me getting myself feeling that way. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I was like, yeah, if we sell like a thousand copies of the first issue, that'll, that'll be pretty dope. And like, that'll, blow my mind um the first issue um including all print runs and the variants uh went on to sell more than seven thousand issues wow yeah it was it was pretty wild um and and every print run sold out uh we went to a couple of printings on the first two issues um people were like running up to me at the beginning of conventions to get me to sign the book and to see if i had copies i had stores calling me the day the book came out at like 11 on the dot when they opened to see if i could get them more copies because somebody came in and bought all the copies to try and flip them on ebay i mean the book was was incredibly hot beyond like anything i had ever expected and, and i wasn't really prepared for it um but yeah it, it's it was a wild ride and like i'm really glad people dug the story like at the end of the day like with grief dead end kids and no heroin and, and anything else i ever write i really don't give too much I don't care very much about the money. Um, money's cool. Don't get me wrong. Like I like having a little bit of money and royalties and stuff like that. But uh, I just want people to read the stories. Like, you know, like uh, when I sell a copy of grief at a convention, uh-huh. um, usually by like the Wednesday of the next week, I'll have like a, an Instagram DM or a Twitter DM of somebody who bought the book from me and said, you know, I was going through this thing and like, I'm really glad I bought this book from you. Like, and that's, that's what I'm in it for. Like I like yeah. when I can connect with people, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's really cool. You know, I'm really interested in the, in what you talked about before when we were kind of going through the uh, uh, figuring out how you're getting the the, the books in the stores. Uh, you said you were in the back of Diamond in the indie indie area. Uh, how do you feel about uh, some of the guys, or or what advice can you give to some of the guys that are indie indie publishers that uh, aren't in Diamond um, as far as maybe trying to get their books in there or or really kind of uh, uh, pushing their product. I mean, do you have any advice for them being that, you know, you've gotten a couple of these Ringo nominations and, you know, you've obviously have a little bit of success there. Uh, so is there anything that you can tell them as far as uh, which ways are the kind of the better ways to go about things? I can, I can speak more to one than the other. Um, the first question about getting into diamond um, that's honestly mostly on the publishers end of things like source point press 
carries my books, but I'm not super involved with the day-to-day operations or anything like that. I do a little bit for them on the side, but generally I, I'm you know, a freelancer for them. Uh, so like, I know that if you are a publisher, you can get an account with Diamond and you can you know, pay an incredible amount of money to be in there. Uh, <laughs> Which most but, indie guys really don't have. That's why they're indie guys. And, you know, yeah, their own yeah. Stuff. I mean, my, my best, you know, utopian advice is to, to get a publisher to do it for you like I did um, rather than to try and do it yourself. If you have to do it yourself, um, just just be sure you're willing to, like, step up and, like, put push your book as hard as you can because it costs an incredible amount of money to be in there and, that that's just the first step like and then comes the second step which was the second question how how, you know to to get out there and push the book like honestly i my philosophy in terms of like i work at a startup for my day job i'm here in san francisco i work for a financial tech company we do we are we're 13 people in in one office like and it's constantly a hustle and a grind and like you know always learning new things and always trying to push ourselves and stuff like that and i try to take that mentality to my comics life. Um, and like, it's, it's not easy. Like I get up at about five o'clock every morning and I do like my writing, I study other comics, you know, map out the structures and stuff like that. Try and like ingest information. Um, I do the business side of things. I like I said, emails, talking to the publisher, um, writing to podcasts to see if they'll have me on. So thank you guys for that. Yeah, yeah definitely, um, man. But like, and that's my, like, that's my five to seven thirty, And then I hop in the shower and I head to work. And even, even when I'm at work, like in the moments between moments, I'm like following up on emails and, and like calling retailers. And like, I haven't had a lunch break ever since I started doing comics. Cause it's always for that. And then when I get home at night, like, you know, it's seven fifteen here and I'm on the phone with you guys. Dude, not, you, gotta not, be, you gotta be really hungry. <laughs> Yeah, no, like it's, it's no joke. Well, all right, let, let me put this in perspective. Like a lot of people have accused me, and I mean that in the nicest way possible, of being successful for having been only doing this for a little less than four years. Um, and I don't disagree with them, but I think that the it's success is proportionate to how much work you put in. Sure, um, yeah, definitely, yeah. And I don't want to do this grind forever. I would like to you know, build up an audience and a relationship with publishers and stuff like that and be able to sort of rest a little bit eventually. So I figure I'll front load all the effort now, you know, do 20 conventions a year for five years and and, and do 50 podcasts every single time I have a book coming out and, and stuff like that and, and build up like that, that Rolodex of editors and podcasts and other media outlets and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So that way I can friggin' breathe later. Um, but also so that way I can, you know, enjoy my marriage and stuff like that. Uh, I got married last year and I, we got engaged after my con schedule was, was set up. Wow. So we planned our wedding around my con schedule. And for the six weeks <laughs> leading up to the wedding, I wasn't home. And wow. for the two weeks after, yeah, I'm surprised. Like I got to that altar and she was there. <laughs> <laughs> Does she like comics at all? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, um, one of the ways we sort of connected was over comics. Like she's a, she's a Trekkie and I'm not like a big Star Trek guy, oh. um, but we, we both dug Dr. Who and, and she was like an angel fan. And I'm a really big Buffy <laughs> fan, which if you couldn't tell from reading your heroin. Um, and so, when she's, we first, so she's probably right now telling, she's like, not, it's not Trekkie, it's Trekker, right? <laughs> yeah, probably. I mean, it's, it's, it's weird. We don't own a lot of DVDs, but in our home <laughs> office, they all sit in a row and the only things on the shelf are, Star Trek, the original series, Star Trek, the next generation, yeah, and yeah. Bucky. Let's like, let's, I mean, let's get her in on this conversation and talk about Picard. 
real quick. No, just kidding. <laughs> that was actually you know, a good show. We haven't watched it yet, and oh. I promise her I would. I have seen select episodes of <laughs> the original series, Next Gen, and some Deep Space Nine. And it's nice. all been really good, but there's an incredible amount of content. And, like, it's oh, just yeah. overwhelming. Oh, yeah. And when you, when you live the way I do, getting up to work and only working because you have two full-time jobs essentially yeah. it just leaves very little time i did tell her we could watch picard together because like i can start <laughs> that and like you know take it one episode at a time and like it'll be over in like eight episodes so yeah i'm not i'm not a big trekkie guy but i, I trekker. have trekker trekkie it's all the same <laughs> junk you know but uh no here's the thing i'm not a big guy uh trekker fuck trekkie guy <laughs> but uh I did like Picard. I think it uh, it started off interesting. Yeah. Um. So that was kind of cool. Hey, uh, I do. You seem like a pretty smart guy, and, and you said you were at a, at a startup, and and uh, you seem to be pretty up on the numbers as far as how many books have been selling. Do you have? I'm a big titles guy. Like, if a, if a book for me uh, has a good title, I'm like, damn, that's a good title. I'll and then <laughs> of course the art. You know, I'll look at the book and whatnot. Um. Do you have any concerns with like the the title for No Heroine um, being uh, picked up by by mainstream shop by any comic shops really, but just because it, you know it's going to have the eighteen plus or the hard R on it? Uh, you know, at the indie level, there's there's not really um, any ind- indicia on the book that says it's you know like mature or anything like that. Like that, there, there's there's no. Uh, like laws and regulations that say you have to have that on your book. It's like okay. a suggestion. Yeah. yeah and yeah. big two do it because they want to sell two children and also not have like a PR wave of, you know, moms yeah. after them. Yeah. Um, but uh, I mean, honestly, like that's, that's, that's what I write. Like my, my baseline, like where I start is at teen and like, it only gets worse from there. And this book specifically, <laughs> And no heroin specifically was made to be <clears throat> a little more brutal and 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 real in terms of its content. Like that was one of my mission statements. If you guys read Dead End Kids and Grief, like both of those skew fairly on the dramatic side. So like uh-huh. mission number one for this book was to do something I hadn't done before, but also because it's got a character who's you know it's kind of closer to home for you, isn't it? With, with no well, yeah, heroin. Like, I I grew up. Uh, pretty punk rock and 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 i both my parents had drug problems when i was growing up and, and yeah. that that's just tip of the iceberg with that but um like i felt like to tell this story in a real way i had to like be honest about it um yeah i don't know if you guys are familiar with uh the the sequel to ender's game speaker for the dead um but uh mm-hmm. just long story short about that it, it picks up with ender after ender's game mm-hmm. and he's he does this thing at the end of Ender's Game that like he feels incredibly guilty about, um, and he like takes it upon himself to sort of travel around the universe and give eulogies for people to sort of make amends. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way he goes about it is by like doing like a private investigator thing where he like will look into somebody's life and like dig up all their dirt and like all the good deeds they've done and give like a very honest picture of who that person was rather than you know romanticize them and sort of. Yeah rose-colored glasses and i always thought that was like pretty powerful in terms of like oh you know there there are shades of gray in life um so when i sit down to write a story like dead and kids or no heroin i I want to show things honestly so you know heroin kayla the main character she's a real piece of crap like she is not a good person um but she's trying and she she wants to be better Mm -hmm. and like i feel like that's that was like a really honest different take that i hadn't seen before yeah. on a character um and uh, de- dealing with this subject. that's that's uh that's pretty cool man um 
I, I heard rumblings about another book that you might have somewhere down in the pipelines, maybe for the future, you know, something about like uh, the story was more, I don't know, uh, um, more up. I don't want to say uppity, but, you know, more uh, um, upbeat, maybe upbeat. There you go. Um, and and the uh, arts with an artistic style of somewhat Scotty Young. Obviously, everybody knows Scotty Young's a, a hot ticket right now. Yeah. But uh, as far as the artwork goes, you said it was somewhere kind of along those lines. Is that right? Is that somewhere in the pipeline somewhere? Oh, man, I think you're talking about Chip 2.0. Yeah. Well, uh, is there anything you can tell us about that? Because it really sounded uh, – I was like, wow, okay. So he's going to go from dead-end kids to, to something like that. And I, I'm kind of interested to see where, where you're going to take that. So I'll, I'll do you one better. I've got a pretty solid roadmap of like my projects for the next three years. And I can probably give you – the next 18 months worth of stuff wow um because i don't think that not talking about these things until they're announced is a good idea um so right now no heroin is coming up uh that'll be out in june or starting in june yeah. um after that we're gonna have dead end kids 2 in the winter starting in november um and that that's that's gonna be a lot of fun i'm, I'm writing that right now um i just finished a, a one shot that uh, I think is the one we're talking about. It's called uh, Chip 2.0. It's sort of like a modern take on Pinocchio with a uh, with a robot and and, and much darker. Um, but the art is very different from anything I've ever done. It's uh, it's it's definitely Scotty Young influenced. Um, really bright color palettes, very very stylized cartooning. Um, I'm pretty excited about that. Um, I've also got a one shot that doesn't have an official title yet. We're just calling it The Farm for right now. Uh, but I'm doing that with Ahmed Rafit, who is the cover artist on No Heroin. Um, it's sort of a late 50s, early yeah. 60s uh, Hollywood slasher, sort of taking the slasher genre and moving it up a decade or back a decade. Um, Great, because the, 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 the cover art for No Heroin is what kind of pulled me in. I was like, ooh, this is... This is really nice. I like I like this. That was the uh, black and white image, right? Yeah, the, yeah that was really hot. Yeah, I, like, oh. I am very particular about co covers. Like, yeah. I, 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 admittedly do not like most comic book covers. Um, I think, <laughs> I think a lot of them are very like repetitive. Um, mm -hmm. Like I've, I've seen that Spider-Man pose. You name it, like a hundred times on hundred other covers, and there are so many variants now. Like it's just. Like, and I just, like, most of them don't feel like they have any sort of, like, basis in any kind of design. So, like, when you look at Grief and you look at all the covers for Dead End Kids and when all the color covers for No Heroin are out, like, you'll, like, there's, I, I try to, like, give everyone their own specific sort of visual identity, but I also definitely heavily draw on uh, Jonathan Hickman and, and Rick Remender's covers, uh, Black Science, East of West, um, yeah. uh, Pax, Pax Romana. Um, sort of as like a starting point like i like a lot yeah. of white i like uh flat black logos like if you know you can see that now um but i also like working with artists who who have a, a similar sort of aesthetic and that's why working with Ahmed on these covers is was was so great because he just he understood it he got it right away and the stuff he's turning out is killer um i also like when there's like one focal color um so you can see that all on all the dead end kid covers yeah um, when when you see all the no heroin covers, it'll it'll be a similar kind of thing going on, um, and I think that that just makes the book stand out. Like you know, like everything just on the shelf when I walk into my shop just looks the same. Yeah, um, 
and I don't know. I don't. It, it works for me. I don't know if it works for everybody, but I want to make books that I like. So like, no, I, I think essentially that's the that's the goal. You know what I mean? Especially for an indie guy, it's, it's to put out something that's different that you want to see on shelves. I can't tell you how many times I've gone to the shelves and and seen you know, like exactly what you just said as far as uh, everything looking the same on the shelves, and it's like, mm-hmm. man, I'm really looking yeah. for something different, something I want to read. Um, and hence, you know, you start looking at the indie guys and you start looking yeah. at the small publishers and this and that. And, and, uh, you got to find something that really speaks to you. So for, on the creative side of things, I think you're spot on with, you know, putting out books that you want to read yourself mm-hmm. is, is definitely the better way yeah. to go. And it, it makes it more personal to you. And it kind of reflects in the way that you present it. Just like you were talking about, you know, uh, when you go to shows and you put the, you put the book in people's hands and you know, this and that. So hats off, man. I think uh, I think you're on the on the right track on that stuff. Trying. <laughs> <laughs> so so um, I I don't mean to kind of backpedal here a little bit, but I want to talk a little bit more about about no heroin coming up here because uh, I when you when you started uh, talking about this book and and I started reading up on it a little bit and some of the material you sent us, um, it, it kind of hit home for me too because uh, growing up. I was a little bit punk rock, um, I, not a little bit. I, I don't think it can be a little bit punk rock, but uh, I was a punk rocker. I, my my dad was a heroin addict, and I can definitely relate to this kind of storyline. And I, I I know the little bit of a background between uh, what kind of inspired this kind of stuff and the and the things that uh, you grew up with as well. So if you could, please uh, elaborate on that a little bit for us. Yeah. Um. So I mentioned. A little while ago that uh both of my parents when i was growing up had drug problems uh, my dad died of an overdose when i was a year and a half old so wow. yeah early in my life drugs like significantly impacted my life um and then my mom was uh she, she sort of went through the cycle of uh recovering relapse uh sort of in and out of rehab custody no custody um <clears throat> ended up marrying a guy who had a history with drugs and they relapsed together. And like, it was just, it was all like very front and center for my whole life. Um, And I know that this isn't something that a lot of people go through, but you know, as you just described, some people do and some people will get it. Um, But uh, as I got older, um, uh, I've got three best friends and I know like that's not how best works, but I have three very close friends I grew up with. Uh, My brother, Harry, my brother, Joey, and my cousin, Tom. Um, And us four were sort of the, the basis for the kids in, uh, that in kids mm. um <clears throat> but as we were growing up uh my brother joey and my cousin tom really they fell into sort of the hard drugs really fast when we were young like around the time we were 14 15 um and <clears throat> for the better part of the you know, last 20 years it's been them you know going to jail going to rehab getting out getting clean for a while relapsing wash rinse repeat um <clears throat> and and that was uh yeah, that was something that was at the forefront of my mind when I was writing this book, too, because I think that, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, in pop culture, we get like sort of two parts of the three parts of drug addiction. We get sort of like the part where we see the the person get involved with drugs and become an addict. We see stories about uh, a person coming to terms with their addiction and, and, and going to rehab um, or going to jail or dying. Um but we never really see much on that third part where you get out of rehab or you get out of jail and you have to stay clean yeah. and like what, what that sort of journey is like. Um, and I've watched it in real time in my life with multiple people 
dozens of times at this point. Um, and I just felt like it was something that I would like to shine a little bit more of a spotlight on. Um, just, you know, for personal reasons, but also because I think that, um, like I was saying earlier, you know, uh, sort of speaker for the dead, like these people dr recovering drug addicts and drugs, they, they get vilified, you know, uh, for having addictions, a disease. And like, you know, that doesn't make an excuse that doesn't, you know, make the things that they've done wrong, right. But like it, they're, they're not outright evil people and they really yeah. get this bad rap and i wanted to sort of do more of a fair look at this and like i said kayla is she's a piece of crap um she is she's not a good person um but she's trying her hand at this hero thing but it's yeah. for all the wrong reasons but at the same time she's trying to do the right thing um so yeah. like it's 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 more complex than we want it to be yeah um and and uh I was writing this book before I wrote Dead End Kids, actually. Uh, Chris Mad, who's the artist on this, is a buddy of mine going way back. We used to share a comic shop in New Jersey when I lived there. Um, and, like, I didn't honestly realize he was, like, a comic artist. And uh -huh. you know, <laughs> um, But then uh, sometime two years ago, uh, we were at a show together, and we got talking. And, you know, essentially the conversation ended with him saying, hey, if you ever want to do something together, let's let's talk. Let's let's jam on a book. Like that'd be pretty cool. Um, and I didn't really have anything at the time, but I was like, all right, yeah, yeah. Um, so I got on the plane. Uh, we were in Philly, uh, and I was flying back to San Francisco, and I was thinking about it. And by the time I got off the plane, I pretty much had the script for No Heroin One written. Um, wow. Just just based on like my life experiences, my love for Buck the Vampire Slayer, and like what I know about Chris's experiences. Um, Chris and I both went to the same high school, uh, like about ten years apart. He's a little bit older than me, but we hung out in the same sort of dirty local park where all the drug dealers hang out where all the punk kids hung out uh, where all the homeless people hung out and like so we were able to sort of synthesize on that yeah. that common ground um and uh that's where the story came from mm -hmm. uh but then i stopped writing the book so i could write dead end kids for a while um and then uh i was getting ready to pick the book back up uh no heroin two and three needed to be written um and i was going to start writing them at the end of july last year um you yeah, know because we were about done with issue one by then um, and, and it's the sort of weirdest sequence of events in my whole life. Um, uh, Dead and Kids was done. It was about to start coming out. I was putting together the trade. Um, and at the beginning of the trade, I put a dedication to uh, my, my cousin, my two brothers, Tom, Joey, and Harry. Um, you know, because the, the book's about us and, like, they're the inspiration for it. So I, I created the dedication page. Um, and then I went to work con in Miami, Supercon, uh, over Fourth of July weekend. Uh -huh. uh, and while I was there, my brother Harry shot me a Facebook message. He's like, "You need, you need to call me." Um, and and when I finally did squirrel away some time to to give him a call, he told me that my brother Joey had OD'd and died. Wow. Um, so that was that was, I mean, like I, I'm saying that like it's just like something else happening. It's 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 pretty surreal yeah. to like one day be be dedicating the book to somebody, and then the next day like that person's not there. Um, and then the week after that, start writing a book that is about that thing um, yeah. again. So it, it's just all pretty surreal. But that was kind of a turning point for the book. Like I, like it gave it like a new meaning and a new like reason for me to write it. Um, and I think that the second and third issues like are even like I, I like the first issue a lot. I think it's pretty powerful in what it shows and and the twists and the turns it has. But yeah, two two and three are really like something else for me at least you know like there's 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 extra little bit of heart in there 
I, I do have a question as far as no heroin goes. Uh, you said it was a bit of Buffy the Vampire Slayer in there. Uh, how does that play into the book itself? Uh, so, like I said, I'm I'm a big Buffy fan. Like, I think, like, you know, for lack of a better way to phrase it, like, my storytelling awakening was, like, watching Buffy. Like, I, I remember very distinctly being 10 years old and watching the, the season finale of the second season and, the, like, that, like, me being like, I want to do that. I want to write stories. <laughs> um, but, uh, I mean, the core concept of the book is is pretty Buffy-esque. It's, you know, it's a, it's a young woman who fights monsters. Um, okay. From there, it, I sort of start to twist it and make it my own. It's, you know, it's it's Joss Whedon influenced. It's not like a carbon copy. I don't want to do that. Um, it deals with topics that Buffy didn't necessarily breach her in the same way. Um, it's not like a chosen one narrative like like you know the like the original buffy this this is a woman who sort of falls into it and and you know is doing it for all the wrong reasons um so like it's i'd say buffy is like the baseline and then we we from there we made it our own so in, in that sense it's almost like a, a very uh super pro-esque as far as uh you know with amanda connor and jim Pomiati, where you know she's uh She's not the chosen one, but it's kind of just like a, it's a, you know, it is what it is kind of deal. Uh, so it's a little bit dirty, a little bit grimy. That- yeah, yeah. I think I, I like to think of it as like my Ninja Turtles. Like, I don't know how many people know this, but Ninja Turtles is like a rip off of Daredevil. Like, in so many ways, it's about these creatures that get hit with this chemical and like get superpowers and they're trained by a rat who had, you know, is essentially yeah. a, a carbon copy of stick yeah, from yeah. Daredevil and they uh-huh. fight the foot clan who are essentially at the hand. Um, <laughs> but there are like so many add layers and twists on like the base story that it's almost unrecognizable if nobody tells you that those things are common. So that's, uh-huh. that's what I was trying to go here for. Like if, if you like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, I think you'll like this book, but it's not in any way a Buffy the Vampire Slayer book. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I I wanted to talk to you a little bit about um you I you said uh you you're doing a few different cons this year. So, is there any cons that's coming up that uh, anybody can find you at very soon? Yeah, yeah. I'm um I made a goal at the beginning of this year to do 20 conventions and 20 signings in 2020. Not because it's 2020, but like uh. it sounds really cool that like <laughs> it worked out that way. Um, but really what happened was I looked at my I'm always trying to do more than I did the year before. Always trying to like scale up my operation and yeah. and do it like I did one book last year, so I'm doing two books this year. I did seventeen conventions last year, so I'm doing twenty this year. I did seventeen signings, so I'm doing twenty. Um so that that's that's what it is. Uh so far nine of those are scheduled. Uh one is already passed. That was Wizard World in Portland uh two weekends ago. Okay. Um, coming up I will be in Vancouver for Fan Expo, uh, the weekend right after Valentine's Day, so the 14th and the 15th of February. Mm-hmm. After that, I'm heading to Chicago for C2E2 at the end of February. Um, second week of March, I'll be in Seattle for Emerald City Comic Con. Uh, and from there, it's a little fuzzy. I can name the shows, but I can't tell you in what order. I'll be in mm-hmm. Dallas for Fan Expo. I'll be in uh, Orlando for MegaCon. I'll be in Denver for Denver Pop Culture Con. I'll be in Houston for Comic Palooza. Uh, there's there's like another one or two in there that I'm I'm forgetting. I'm sure, but uh, cool. Yeah. I'm getting around. Um, I'm sure that you guys will ask me later, but uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll throw it in now. Um, I do a, a newsletter 
uh, it goes out twice a week. It's got some like writing tips. It's got some some behind the scenes stuff about how I write. Talks about stuff that I'm like reading and, and video games and movies and stuff that I'm enjoying. Like it's a pretty simple newsletter, but uh, people seem to like it. Uh, and and yeah, you know, if you want to know the con schedule, it's it's always, it's always at the end of that. So is there a place on uh, online that we can find you? Is uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter? Yeah. Or are you uh, where, where do you normally hit the most? Um, so I try to keep my my social media pretty real um like i don't have like personas or fan pages or anything like that i have a twitter it's at frank ogle one word f-r-a-n-k-g-o-g-o-l um i'm on there pretty regularly pretty much all day because i use it for work um but uh i'm also on instagram i really like instagram i think that's that's the best one um same same tag at frank ogle one word um i'm on facebook like i said i don't have a fan page or anything like that but if anyone listening is like uh an aspiring writer or just like a fan who wants to connect. Like I, I, I don't shy away from people shooting me friend requests as long as they're not crazy, like going to stalk me, kill my wife, stuff like that. <laughs> um, so yeah, like any of those is fine. Um, hey, if like that happens, you can write about it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't know, man. I, I've had enough tragedy. I've had enough tragedy. I, I, I'm set through, through 2030. For there now. there um, you go. Yeah. It's um, all, it's but, all up from here, man. Exactly. <laughs> Um, but on all of those social media, uh, there's always a link for my newsletter. Um, like that's sort of like where cool. everything comes yeah. down to. Um, it's on, it's, it's the, the link in my Twitter. It's the link in my Instagram. Uh, it's on Facebook. I'll post about it from time to time. Um, honestly, like if people want to keep up with me, like I don't, you, you probably shouldn't. That's my advice. <laughs> um, but if you're, if you want to like do, do the newsletter, it's definitely the least annoying cause it's only every two weeks rather than every day. Um, but it's also got everything. Cool. Cool. All right, man. We appreciate you coming on and hanging out with us, talking uh, a little bit about your work and uh, what you do. Um, got anything else? No, man. I'm good. I, I will see you in the shows. I'll see you in the rackets, man. And hopefully I'll see you on the shelves. Uh, hey, man. Again, thanks for coming on and welcome to the House of Indie. Hey, thanks again for hanging out with us here on the House of Indie. I'm Joey Galvez and Albert Morales. Albert Morales.